Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Wednesday, March 31st, and a blessed Holy Wednesday to all of you. What a joyful time it is for us as Christians during Holy Week, looking to the cross and the resurrection, which is our theology, which is our hope. And in that hope, we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our our dead and risen Lord Jesus Christ, who is true light and has made God known to us. The light shines on us today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And Paul just got finished thanking the Lord for the faith, hope, and service of love of the Thessalonians, especially as the city was not exactly the most welcoming of places for Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And now in chapter 2, he begins to review his ministry among them. It's quite unique, and I'm looking forward to the insights from our guest, is why does he seem to have to prove his ministry? Why is he doing this at this time? Obviously, for the sake of the gospel, but maybe even more. So let's dig in. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we have the honor of having with us Reverend Dr. Dennis McFadden of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor McFadden, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. It's good to be with you, Brady. So, Pastor McFadden, um, I want I want to ask you two questions. First of all, it's Holy Week, and so Happy Holy Week! Thank you. And second, and with that, is what is your favorite part of Holy Week? You've you've been in ministry for quite a while. Holy Week has come and gone many times. What is your favorite part? Uh, I think that uh, since I came to Lutheranism late in light life. Uh, I think for me, the uh, the uh, words of institution in the upper room and the reminder that this is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood shed for you for the remission of sins. That's that is really good. I had a friend who was Presbyterian, became a Lutheran, and he one time told me that he he couldn't fathom. He, he couldn't believe that when he gave communion for that first time, or really any time, that when he was able to give it to people and to be able to say, this is the, 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 the body of Christ. This is the true body of Christ. And he was so humbled by that. He just, it was such an amazing thing. So that sounds something similar for you. Well, in fact, uh, I was confirmed as a Lutheran nine years ago this month on the 34th anniversary of my Baptist ordination. And I remember the first time I received communion during that March uh, divine service, uh, it brought me to tears. Is that right? Is that right? Okay, well, um, well, as a Baptist, were you waving your arms in the air, too, or as a former Baptist? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> well, anyways, so I want, you know, I'm going to touch on that a little bit. You know, there's always new listeners that we have, and you've been on before. This is our first time together on um, on Thy Strong Word. And and for many of us in the LCMS, you know, we we were born and grown into the our beloved synod, you know, baptized as an infant, typically, um, usually at a St. John's Lutheran Church, by the way. We have a lot of those. Um, confirmed. <laughs> 
<laughs> confirmed in eighth grade or so, maybe went to Lutheran school, maybe went to a Concordia, maybe, you know, went to one of our two blessed seminaries in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, if you're a pastor. But you don't have that history. Can you give us a short um, a story about your journey to becoming an LCMS pastor? I was a, I was a Baptist pastor in California, and then I ended up uh, serving as the CEO of a Baptist retirement home in California. My administrative assistant was the wife of a LCMS pastor, and she and her husband were graduates from Seward, Nebraska. And uh, she kept pestering me that I should uh, visit a Lutheran church at some point. And when we moved to Fort Wayne a little over nine years ago uh, to to help out with a family matter, uh, I fulfilled the promise to her to visit. And I was dumbfounded by what I found. And within two and a half months, my wife and I had uh, been confirmed, and two years later, I was admitted uh, to the ministerium of the LCMS. So I am a excited, enthusiastic convert to the LCMS. Well, that is that is well. <laughs> it's always amazing to us because we're always. Uh... We don't really think anybody, no, no, not all of us, but we do have those moments where we feel like no one wants to be with us. And so yesterday, Pastor McFadden and I had a great discussion and I heard this story and it, it just, just like Paul today, when he talks to the Thessalonians, we thank God that we are able to say what the word of God is, which is the word of God. And that unites us not only in Christ, but also in our confession of faith. So I'll say this during our Holy Week. All that the Lord has done for us. Thanks be to God that you are with us, Pastor McFadden. Thank you. As we are about to search the scriptures, Pastor, can you begin our time and ask for the Lord's blessings in prayer? Absolutely. Merciful and everlasting God, you did not spare your only son, but delivered him up for us all to bear our sins on the cross. Grant that our hearts may be so fixed with steadfast faith in him that we fear not the power of sin, death, and the devil. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners that if you want to ask a few questions, clearly Pastor McFadden has a different perspective than your typical Lutheran pastor that is on our program. So you can ask any question you wish, kfuo at kfuo.org. And Pastor, chapter chapter 2 is kind of a, a unique chapter, I would say, in the epistles. This is almost like reviewing the past. Um, but as we as we dig into chapter two, we'll review many things as we go. But are there any background or introductory remarks or thoughts you have that will help us out this morning? Yeah, uh, those who were with you from the beginning will remember Acts chapter 17 describes Paul's incredibly brief mission in Thessalonica. Uh, he had come from Philippi, where he had been terribly treated, uh, both uh, humiliated, shamed, uh, persecuted, prosecuted, the whole bit. Uh, Acts 17, 1-8 describes uh, his mission in Thessalonica that came to a rather ignominious end with a public riot, legal charges, and a humiliating flight from the city at night. And you can just imagine Paul's critics uh, are going to take full advantage of that. Uh, He suddenly disappears, and so to undermine his authority and the authority and truth of the gospel, they decide they're going to discredit him. So they launched a smear campaign against him and try to blame him for just about everything. And whereas Mm. in chapter 1, 
you're introduced to Paul the Evangelist here in chapter 2. We're going to see Paul the pastor. And maybe as much as any of Paul's letters, we're going to see him expressing his emotions, showing his mind, bearing his soul. And uh, nobody who's ever done any kind of ministry ordained or lay uh, can really fail to be touched and challenged by what Paul writes uh, in chapter 2, 1 to 16. That is a great, a great overview. Like you said, a very brief time in Thessalonica. I highlighted this yesterday uh, when we went through chapter one, was you would think if you were to go through the book of Acts that, uh, and you would hear all the cities that Paul went into and the ministry he did, that one of the last cities I would imagine that he would be writing a letter of thanksgiving would be Thessalonica. You know, you think maybe the letters to the Bereans is something that we would have in Holy Scripture because, you know, they heard the word and they they believed the scriptures and, and to see if it was true. But Thessalonica, it was like three weeks and he is out. I mean, there, <laughs> there's no chance of, of it seeming to be a church that would grow and prosper. And as it says, even going beyond Macedonia and into Macedonia and Achaia. So, I mean, it's just an amazing, this is why Thessalonians to me has always been one of the more fascinating books, because you almost would not think it would have happened if you just read the book of Acts. Any thoughts on that? Well, and, and I think I think Paul was surprised as well, as you're going to learn uh, when you get to the next chapter. Uh, he's worried that the level of persecution that he experienced with that riot would snuff out the embers of the gospel uh, that had been planted in the hearts of the believers in, in, who did respond in Thessalonica. And so he sends his faithful assistant Timothy back uh, to try to shore things up and then learns apparently from Timothy that uh, contrary to Paul's worst fears, they are actually doing rather well. They are they are following uh, through. Uh, they have some problems. Paul's going to address those problems and some misunderstandings, but they are standing firm for the gospel, and that is a blessing to Paul. Absolutely, and you know Timothy brings back a good report. I mean, this is just like in any any ministry we have. Like I know for me that you know you go through. I've been in ministry now since two thousand and six, and it's such a joy when you hear of a former confirmand who's going to church. Or uh, you, you hear of a, of a family that was maybe inactive that's now going to church. Of course, we have other frustrations, right. but those stories really keep us going in ministry. That you're like, wow, I didn't expect that young man to continue and maybe even look at ministry or to be in church or to be a leader. And and uh, and it's truly a, a, a reality of the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of people. So that is very true mm-hmm. as well. Any last thoughts on the background before we start digging in? Well, uh, just just uh, more, not so much background as looking forward. Uh, mm-hmm. I I like to look at at this section in terms of uh, Paul describing what it means to be a faithful steward, and then uh, using the uh, illustration of a loving mother, and then the illustration of a concerned father, and then wrapping it up with uh, uh, the role of the word in strengthening the believers in the latter part of the section that we're going to get to today. That's a good point. He does use unique language, like you said, the pastoral Paul, because as a pastor or whenever you're caring for souls, as a, even as parents or whatever it might be, you gotta you got to think quick on your feet. you got to think about how can I connect this to the reality of where we are today, and how can I make sure that I flush this out so people understand the Word of God? And you're right, that's 
he, he brings that together in such a unique way that's probably unique, like you said, to the epistles. So how about we dig in? Are we ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's open up our Bibles and let's get to it. Reminder to our listeners that we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV of the Holy Scriptures. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll just do the first two verses to begin. Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our in, in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. I wanted you to uh, maybe touch on this a little bit, uh, Pastor. Is what 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 all happened at Philippi? Can you give us a rundown of that? Well, uh, basically, uh, Paul and Silas had been stripped. They'd been beaten. They'd been thrown into prison. Their feet were fastened into stocks. And not only had that been painful, but incredibly humiliating as they were flogged naked in public without any trial. And that all in spite of the fact that Paul was a Roman citizen. So it mm-hmm. was uh, a humiliating, uh, insulting experience for them. And he uh, states that right here. We we suffered that refers to the degree of the beatings, and we were shamefully treated, which talks about his being paraded, uh, uh, flogged in public uh, without trial, naked, uh, and treated in a way that no Roman citizen should be treated. So he couples both sides of it, the, the suffering as well as the shame. Well, and that's it's an amazing thing to think about, because when you go to Second Corinthians, he speaks about all the issues that he had to deal with, the, you know, the, the flogging, the stoning, the, um, the getting beaten, all these things he speaks about. And sometimes we, we separate ourselves from uh, the real issue with that. Not so much just did I get flogged, which is significant enough, but the recovery from that. I mean, that'd be incredible to think about. And so here he is stripped naked. He's a Roman citizen. There's no reason for him to do this. So this, is, this isn't that long from the time that he wrote for Thessalonians, in my understanding, from from the commentaries to the time he writes this. So this is fresh on the mind that he still feels the uh, the after effects physically, probably, of what happened. And so th- th- that's a wonderful rundown that you have. Other thoughts on the first two verses? Uh, no, uh, other than the fact that, that, that before he gets on to the message of his ministry or his motive or his method, he's going to describe the manner. And this is the manner in which uh, his ministry among them was conducted. It, was, I, it came to them not in vain. It, not was, uh, it was with purpose. It was with intentionality. And it was, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, absolutely effective. And that's the same thing today. We, we sometimes... Uh, uh, you know, weary ourselves with the thought that uh, nobody cares, nobody listens, nobody pays attention. And yet uh, Isaiah reminded us that the word does not return void or in vain. It accomplishes its purpose. Paul's going to get on at the end of our section. The the bookends are at the beginning, he says his ministry wasn't in vain. And at the end, he's going to tell why it wasn't in vain. It, It came with the power of the word of God, which not only authenticates itself, but the Spirit uses it uh, powerfully in our lives. We Lutherans love to talk about the power and efficacy of the Word and the sacrament. And mm. we're not going to get sacrament here, but we're certainly going to get the Word that, that God uses uh, to, to create faith, to nurture faith, to sustain faith. And that's Paul's burden as well. 
And it says, we had boldness in our God, which I thought, you know, a lot of times when we talk about boldness in ministry or in, in, in church or whatever, I mean, we kind of talk about boldness and it can easily be misunderstood as, you know, I have kind of like an internal confidence or I have a confidence in myself. It's been, no, a boldness in our God to declare you to you the gospel of God in the, in the, in the midst of much conflict. And I, and I love that because boldness can usually focus on ourselves, but the boldness is in God himself. And you connected it. And obviously, Paul's a great Old Testament theologian, and so no doubt he has this Isaiah passage in the back of his mind as he's preaching and as he's teaching, knowing that this is not in vain whatsoever. Um, so let's continue on. You have well, something and, to say? And Sorry. One, little, one little tidbit here, too. The, the word he uses for boldness or courage uh, is almost a technical word that was used to describe the ability of a of a citizen to appear before the emperor, before the king, before the authorities, that freedom of speech, that right to to stand in his presence. And it is not certainly because of any of Paul's merit as a Pharisee or persecutor of the church, but because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, that he dares to have that freedom of access to the Father uh, through Jesus Christ. Oh, that's very good. That's very good. And it brings us to other, you know, obviously Stephen, that brings us to different times that Paul had to profess this and other people. That definitely was a boldness that that we pray that the Holy Spirit gives us if we ever need to do it. Um, Let's continue on. Verses three and four, three and four. Paul writes, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. I'll I'll leave that in your hands first. What are your thoughts on those two verses? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, One of the early church fathers, uh, that guy with an unpronounceable name, Christostom, uh, he said Paul brought into, into Thessalonica three important qualifications. He had a fervent zeal for the gospel. He had a soul ready to undergo any hardship for the cause of Christ, and it combined with both knowledge and wisdom of God's Word. And that's what he brought to the task, and uh, he lays that out for us here, the message uh, of his ministry. So tell us about fervent fervent zeal. What does that mean? Well, he— He's not. He's not a. He's not going to be um, casual or nominal in his faith. He's going to be uh, the fact that the Spirit has created faith in him and has nurtured that through word and sacrament. Uh, it has grown. It has set his soul on fire, and he has a a passion uh, for bringing the good news to people who are lost because they are in darkness and he has seen the light. And it's like anyone who, uh, no, you know, if it's that, it's that thing you see in a, in a firefighter who, who's willing to risk his life to run into a burning building to bring out a child. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul sees these people that he ministered to as those who were in darkness uh, under the power of the evil one. And he has a, a, just a burning desire within him to, to see them rescued. And he's, he wants to bring good news to them. And the good news, only good news that really rescues people is the good news of Jesus Christ. As it says, you know, with Jesus, did not our hearts burn within us as we heard, the, as he <laughs> taught us the word of God. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. reminds me of the road, right? Uh, and so yeah. he definitely has this, 
fervent zeal. He's showing them, and he and he lays this out later that this is not with error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. So my impression when I was studying this is there was something in the church where people were saying, you know, Paul really isn't with us. You know, this is this is all about him, not about us. You know, that's right. my impression. And it's true in the other epistles. You have like the super apostles in Second Corinthians. You have it other times. Any any thoughts on that? That, that was my impression. Yeah, but do you read anything? Yeah, I, I, I agree with your impression. And I think it comes right back to what, uh, what we were talking about at the beginning. Uh, because of the riot and the and the. Uh, uh, the way in which his enemies conspired to uh, try to undermine his authority when he was there, it was necessary for him to flee at night. Well, fleeing mm-hmm. at night might have been necessary for his safety so he could live to fight another day, but it certainly gave his enemies uh, uh, fodder for grist for the mill uh, for them to accuse him of being a quitter of uh, just being in it for the money. He was a cheap peddler uh, whose only motive was either to make money or to look out for himself or to to pander his own to his own ego. And so Paul is self-consciously addressing these very uh, things that perhaps Timothy's told him were going around as rumors in the community uh, that he is addressing to show that, no, not it, not true. Uh, we did not we did not run away with our tail between our legs out of cowardice or fear or or mean spirited motives. But we uh, you know, he he justifies uh, what he had done and why he had done it. It reminds me a little bit of uh, of um, as we as we think about in ministry, how easy it is to be like a, a, a just a one Sunday preacher. You know, you could go there one yeah. Sunday recycle sermon, everything looks good, and then you leave, and you're not having to visit people, you're not having to to speak through uh, an issue, counsel, you don't, you know, you don't confirm your kids, any of those things, relationships that are built. It, it seems really easy, and for a church, how easy it can be to become frustrated by all the people running in and out, and the importance of the care of souls in a local parish, and the work that's being done in that way. What a what a blessing that is. So obviously the people are not real excited about that. And he's saying, no, no, no. And he'll say this later too. He longs to be with them. Um, he cares for them as a mother is nursing her child. Um, so let's continue on to this word in verse four. But just as we have been approved by God. I love that language there. And maybe it's because I've been born and bred Lutheran. But any thoughts on that from a former Baptist? <laughs> I don't know that I have any thoughts uh, related to that. I, I do joking. love that word approved by God, because uh, that is the very same word Paul uses uh, when he speaks to the Corinthians about his passion for running the race. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes in a media-saturated culture like ours, with lots of inputs, uh, secular inputs that, that, that either undermine the authority of Scripture or try to uh, insinuate a different approach to life, uh, it's it's easy to grow weary and 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 wonder whether it's worth it. And when Paul writes to the Corinthians in First Corinthians nine, you know he speaks rather you know dramatically of of how strongly uh, he cares about running the race and how. Uh, how big a deal it is for him to to run the race, to run the race. Uh, don't you know all runners in a stadium 
uh, run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control. They do it for a perishing crown, but we an imperishable crown. I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under control that mm. after preaching to others, I might self I myself might not be disqualified. And that's a form of the same word here to be approved and to be disqualified are the are are opposites of the same idea. And it's it's a term that was used for the the minting of coins and proving that it was genuine silver or genuine gold, not not a not a, a an alloy of some inferior metal. And Paul is, you know, speaking of a of a life that that uh, stands the test because it corresponds to the call of God on his life. It corresponds to the word of God in his message. It corresponds to the manner in which uh, he has proclaimed that message. He didn't do it with a lot of, of gimmickry. He didn't use a lot of uh, trick lights or, or rock music or anything else. Mm -hmm. He, he Mm -hmm. stuck to the word and, uh, and he, presented a, a ministry that that was you know the the uh, 24 karat gold standard that was that's what he was aiming for and uh, in first Corinthians he said the worst thing that could happen is I could present a message to you and at the final judgment God could say you flunk and mm-hmm. he didn't want mm-hmm. that he wanted an approved message by the Lord and that goes with the idea of we are not here to please man but to please God who tests our hearts. So God knows our hearts that if, you know, if if we're saying these things to receive our own glory, our own medals or those kind of things, I mean, we can try, we can fool people all day long, but we're not going to fool God. And the message, if it's, you know, wonderfully uh, 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 exciting or whatever it might be, it does not mean that it's approved by God. Uh, Any, any, we have about a minute left here. Any, before our break, any thoughts on the pleasing God? That's always a a weird kind of statement I I hear and I, I know what it is, but any, any thoughts on pleasing God and not man? Well, one of the, one of the greatest verses that I keep going back to in John is the reminder that when Jesus was challenged about good works and what are good works, and uh, he answers them to, and says, the good work is to believe in the one that he has sent. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that's not even our work. That's, that's, that's something the Lord does in us. But ultimately, the coinage of, of Scripture, both Old and New Testaments, is to trust God, to believe God. And the key to an approved ministry, the key to an approved life is not sinlessness. We'll never get there. The old Adam, the uh, uh, formula of Concord, uh, our confessions, uh, Article 6 tells us is a stubborn ass. It's a it's a very stubborn donkey that won't let go. It keeps coming back at us. We keep struggling with sin. Sinlessness in this life is not going to be possible, but uh, uh, believing God. Trusting God, that is the coinage of, of the Christian faith. And uh, that would be my, I guess, my last comment before the break. Absolutely. Well, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But right now we need to take a break. We are studying First Thessalonians with Pastor Dennis McFadden, and we'll be right back.
This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. Welcome to A Peep Behind the Scenes. In 1878, this book quickly sold over two and a half million copies. Now, over a hundred years later, it comes to life as a powerful audio drama. The story of the lost. There's nobody loves me, and nobody never did. And the good shepherd who brings them home. For God so loved the world. On the next Lamplighter Theatre. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. And welcome back. We're studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 with Pastor Dennis McFadden. And as we look at uh, chapter 2, one of the things, he's laid a foundation about the past, about the boldness to have the gospel of Christ. At the same time, uh, we now we're going to get into him unpacking, as, as, as Pastor McFadden, you said so well, about his ministry to the Thessalonians. One of the things that, as we go through these verses, I encourage you, our listeners, is one of the great joys is if you're ever able to sit with someone who has served in ministry and to hear their stories uh, as they reflect back. Um, I've, had, I've had the honor and privilege of, I grew up in a pastor's home, and there's a number of retired pastors that you're able to sit with and, and to hear their stories about the joys, specifically about what people did in their churches. And so I, that's, I, I envision that right now with Paul, that he's speaking about his ministry and the way that God worked in Thessalonica. And that's my encouragement to you is if there's a retired pastor or a pastor who's, who's been serving for quite a while, uh, ask him a story about the great joys of ministry, the ways that he's seen God at work, because mm-hmm. that's what I feel Paul's doing here. Any, any thoughts on that, Pastor? Oh, absolutely, and and that's and and really all this this discussion where he he goes into the life of a family uh, to describe with as much emotion as possible the 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 depth of of love and concern in ministry. Uh, you know, Augustine, you know, rightly says said that you don't do the right thing so people will praise you, but to make that your aim or your motive. But because you love them, because you're concerned about them, for their sake, you do the right thing. You do those things that are worthy of praise because you know that that will be good for them. And, uh, you know, Paul is going to unpack some of his experience with them because he wants them to uh, to uh, uh, be nurtured and grow in their faith. These are new Christians. He wants them mm-hmm. to uh, he wants to catechize them. 
And I'll, I'll, I'll share this one small thing, and we get to verses five through eight. Is there was a pastor that I grew up with, and he was a he was a his last name was Esela, Pastor Esela, and he was a Finn uh, in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We had a Finnish denomination that joined uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, I believe, in the fifties, might have been the sixties. But anyway, so you had a whole contingent of Finns, and there's a lot of Finns in northern Minnesota, and that's where I grew up. And Pastor Esela at his uh, um, when he retired, they celebrated his fiftieth year of ministry. And one of his comments was, you know, uh, you do what you can do in God's word. And I just wish I would have loved the people even more. And I think that is something we hear from Paul today in verses five through eight. So think of that while we hear these words. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So... Mm. What are your thoughts on these words? I'm kind of, I'm getting the feel, kind of like I talked about with Pastor Esela, but what are some things that are highlights for you? Well, uh, Paul's Paul's burden here is he wants them uh, to grow in faith. He wants them to know the joy of fellowship with the living God through Jesus Christ, His Son, and because of because of that, uh, he's. Uh, he doesn't push his prerogatives. Uh, he tells uh, Timothy that a that a pastor should receive double honor, should be given support by the church. Uh, he speaks in 1 Corinthians 9 about the fact that the apostles had the right to travel with spouses and had the right to uh, be supported by the church as, as a family. And uh, yet Paul is priding himself on the fact that he is setting aside any prerogatives or privileges that he might have claimed. He's doing manual work as a tent maker uh, to support his ministry. Now, he did receive some some cash uh, gifts from the Philippian church uh, while he was on his mission, the second missionary journey. Uh, but He's he's not making any demands on these people because he wants to spend all of his energy caring for his children. He wants to love them like a mother who nurses her own child. He wants to love them like a father who instructs his own child, and he doesn't want anything to get in the way of their understanding that that uh, that love relationship. Um, and. Uh, at this point, he's been, a, he's been a Christian for a number of years. He's been through the Jerusalem Council, where the, the apostles have put their stamp of approval uh, a year or two earlier on uh, the, the, the mission of, to the Gentiles. And now, around 50 or 51, he's writing to these Thessalonian believers uh, to encourage them in their faith. And you could, there was a, there's a feeling in verse 5 that he never came in words of flattery, and he speaks about this before, uh, these words, as 
you know, you can feel there's that feeling of, you know, if you guys thought I came for that reason, God is my witness or God is witness to this. I, that was not my intention. Um, I did not want to do, and this is not what I was doing. I'm here for this. And then uses, as you said so well, the mother father analogy into this understanding of his ministry. To me, that's quite powerful to think about because we all have these perceptions of, of our parents and we have some of the joys that we saw in our own parents. Um, and, and to know that that's how people see ministry can be quite powerful. Any thoughts on, on that connection that Paul makes? Well, just, just that, that it is incredibly powerful. Uh, we didn't get into our families much when, when you and I shared yesterday, Brady, but uh, I, I have five children uh, who are now adults and 13 grandchildren, and we moved to Fort Wayne uh, because our son-in-law at the time, our son-in-law, uh, at that time had cancer and we didn't know if he'd make it. We came here to help with family. And so for the last nine years, my wife and I, uh, in addition to my church work, were stay at home grandparents. And we have, mm. we have watched, uh, four of our grandkids. In fact, two of them are in the other room and the bells you hear in the background are them walking <laughs> in and out of the house while I'm talking to you. We've got a, we've got a three-year-old and a four-year-old here that have been with us since birth five days a week while their parents mm. are working. And uh, to, you know, to spend time, my wife uh, this morning was, was uh, showing a Christian video, uh, what's in the Bible with our, our four-year-old to try to give him early instruction on the nature of scripture and what's in scripture. And, and our passion is that, that our grandchildren would, would know the Lord and would understand the Lord and would grow in the Lord and um, it's it's a very tender scene when you see a mother holding and uh, nursing a child, or when you see a father uh, holding the little hand of a of a little oh. of his little boy as they take a walk in the woods. And that's the picture Paul is giving us. He's giving us that kind of family picture of of a caring mother and of a caring father, and he likens that to the role he's had in helping them be midwifed into faith uh, through uh, the gospel and his desire to see them continue to grow in their faith. And he's using those images that everyone can relate to of, of a loving mom and a loving dad. Well, I think this is a good reminder for us, uh, for specifically you, that we continue, that we, I encourage our listeners to pray for you, Pastor McFadden, and your bride as you uh, help your family and uh, serve them. At the same time, we pray for all uh, parents and grandparents as they raise their children in the instruction of the Lord, because it is quite challenging. But what a joyous thing, like you said so well, the, the nursing of an infant, the holding of the hand, the instructing that happens in such small ways and in such wonderful ways. I think this is a good thing for us to pray about in our world as well. So this lines up with verse eight, that so being affectionately desirous of you, showing much like you're speaking about how you are with your grandchildren, this is how Paul was with them. We are ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own selves. This is, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is an important thing, too, is when people are speaking faith, it's not just about Jesus, but they're giving their heart and soul into this stuff. Um, uh, I, I liken this to when our, we, have, we have four um, musicians in our congregation, four organists who will play, and they kind of go on rotations. And one of the great joys, I grew up in an organ, organist home. My mom is an organist. And, and, and oh, my. To, yeah, to speak, to, to be able to work with them is, is a great joy. And I encourage them because I'm like, you know, when you play, 
it's a lot like when I preach. It's not just me preaching words. It's me giving myself. And when you play the organ and musicians, they give themselves to us, you know, through the music, by the you know, the word of God through that. And that goes with anything that that happens. And Paul is, is basically saying that I'm giving myself to you because this is how important Jesus is. This is how important faith is. Our organists do this. Our musicians do this. Our pastors do this. Our other vocations, our teachers, you think of them, they do this. They're not just teaching words. They're not just proclaiming words. They're giving themselves into this because of how important it is. And that's something I'm really feeling from Paul here. Oh, and uh, if I could put in a commercial for the LCMS, for any of our listeners who might not be in Lutheran churches, one of the biggest differences I notice coming out of broad evangelicalism into the LCMS is that personal attention that pastors give to be shepherds to their people, and that when someone's in the hospital or when someone is a shut-in, how often uh, pastors in the LCMS will make home calls or hospital calls. And that is becoming increasingly rare in broad evangelicalism. That's just not part of their, of their shtick these days. Mm. And I am so impressed when I see a, a loving pastor taking time with an elderly saint, communion to their home and to, to, uh, to minister the word to them, to pray with them, to uh, do a devotion with them uh, in their home or in the hospital. And that just, that's, that's us trying to live out the model Paul gave us. And that is a model. Uh, too many pastors today think of their role in terms of pastor CEO or pastor executive and the pastor is shepherd uh, is something I don't think is lost in the LCMS. We still lift that up high. And, and I see that as coming directly from the uh, scriptural admonitions and directions that, that Paul gives in many places about what it means to, to love God's people and to uh, share with them the word and your very own lives with them. Absolutely. And this goes back to our understanding of the pastoral office uh, being a zealzorger, that you are caring for the souls of each person. Why? Because Christ has died for that soul, and he's called you into that work. So let's move on, verses 9 through 12, as Paul continues uh, uh, showing us his ministry. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked day and night, or night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So he kind of con- he continues this uh, uh, explaining, or I guess you say proving his ministry. And what are some of the highlights you see here? Well, I am I am struck by uh, the fact of uh, you know he of course he lays out his walk and his work as well as his words here. Uh, I'm struck by the the idea 
that Paul is going to give them what they need. And in, at sometimes that involves encouragement. And he uses a word here that uh, in verse 12 that uh, Jesus uses in the upper room to describe the Holy Spirit as mm-hmm. the comforter. Uh, the one who comes alongside, it's made up of two uh, words in the original that mean to call someone alongside of. And uh, Paul knows that there are times when a person needs a word of encouragement. They need a, they need a kind of an attaboy, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes that encouragement takes the form of, of uh, a little bit more firmness. Uh, other times uh, he comforts them, and he uses a, a word there that's a, a rich word in the original for uh, to bring comfort to somebody uh, who is in need of comfort, and uh, it's used uh, a few times in, in the New Testament to describe uh, relating to a person in a consoling or comforting way, and uh, then then we have him talking about how he uh, implores them. There are times when a, a person needs to beg a person uh, to to change from the direction they're going in, or to take into account something that uh, is easy for them to forget about. And and again, Paul is is you know you see all the dimensions of a fatherly uh, love for a child because uh, there are times when. A loving dad uh, wants to put his arm around his his daughter or his son and and tell them how much he loves them and how great he thinks they are. There are other times when a person uh, needs to be uh, uh, held tightly in the midst of their of their sobbing because they need to be comforted. And there are times when a person needs some direction. Uh, is that really what you want to be doing? Have you thought about this? What's uh, you know, and and draw them back to first principles, what they what they believe in their heart and what they say they want to do. And those are all roles that Paul uh, carried out with the, the Thessalonian believers. He he knew how to he knew how to encourage. He knew how to conf- comfort and he knew how to charge. That, that is really profound. And uh, because you think about how all of those things go into our lives. And he speaks as a father, you know, as, like a father to his children, how all those things are involved, but all of it begins with the understanding of the relationship, which is goes back to verse uh, four, approved by God, that all of these yep. things you're able to do because you know what your relationship is with God, which changes our relationship with others. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. Um, one of the things I wanted to look here too is I think about when he says, remember brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day showing that they worked a long time. And as we understand, there was three Sabbaths that he went to the synagogue and preached the word of God and obviously didn't last much longer he may than that. Actually, he may actually have been in town longer than that. We know that three Sabbaths oh, okay. were involved in the synagogue. Uh, there are some commentators that will say that his ministry could have been a, a tad bit longer than a, than three weeks. But still, okay. you're right. It was it, no, by anybody's count. It was brief. It was brief, brief, yeah. But at the same time, for example, I worked at camp, you know, and I, I mentioned this before on the program, but working at camp, you have a week with kids. You know, you have a week with these kids, and you have a week with a co-counselor or a few counselors. And I tell you what, you're together the whole week. By the end of the week, you know each other pretty well. You've seen people cry. You've seen people not be able to sleep. You've seen people 
try to suffer hiking a mountain. You, you know, you're trying to get them up in the morning. You see the best and the worst of people. And Paul had been there, let's just say a month, six weeks, whatever it might be. We might yeah. think it was short compared to uh, um, other, other cities that he had visited and rode to. But he knew these folks because it was intense. It was short. But yet you saw the best and the worst of these individuals. So, and despite all that, he still loved them and still wanted to be with them. And I thought that was quite profound and powerful. Last thoughts on those Absolutely. verses, Pastor? Last thoughts? I'm sorry. Uh, last thoughts? Yeah, last thoughts, uh, yeah. Well, just, uh, oh, I don't know that I had any other thoughts on those verses. All right. Well, let's dig in. <laughs> other we than have... in verse 12, uh, it, it, you know, it's the reminder that, he uh, who is continually calling you. God called mm. us to salvation, and he is constantly calling us to a life of holiness and obedience. And I like the fact that uh, in verse 12, Paul puts it into a, uh, 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 a continuous form, that it's a, God's call on us is, is a continuing call. And as Lutherans, we talk about how that call gets lived out in our vocations, which are multiple you know, during one stage of life, your vocation might be a student. During another stage, you're a, you're a husband, then perhaps a father or a mother, uh, a sister, a brother. Uh, you uh, currently, my vocation is both pastor and, and, and grandpa, as well as father, and uh, serving on some nonprofit boards where I have an advice giving role. So, you know, all of us have multiple vocations that God has called us to, and he continues to call us to. Uh, he doesn't quit on us. We Sometimes I visit uh, senior saints that, that will look me in the eye and they say, oh, pastor, I don't know why I'm still here. I just don't understand why God doesn't just bring me home, why he doesn't just call me home. And I'll tell them that, you know, the Lord still has a purpose for them here. And they still have a important role to play. And until Jesus comes to take us to be with him, that we might be where he is, uh, his callings are going to continue in our lives. We're going to have continuing ways of expressing and living out that that faith that he's put into us. Well, and that, that reminds me of uh, the catechism. Once again, like you talked about the small catechism that you read and, and came to Lutheranism. It, third article, in the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies a whole Christian church on earth. Called That's me by right. the gospel, enlighten me with his gifts. That reminder that he continually calls. And for you, our listeners, to remember the Lord continues to call you not only to his own kingdom, but to the vocations that are in front of you even to this day. So let's continue verses 13 through 16, and we'll get our final thoughts. We have about seven minutes left with our time here. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers become imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that you might be saved. So always, be, be fill up, always to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. All right, there's quite a bit there in the last uh, few verses. Um, so where do you want to begin? 
Well, I, I, I'm struck by the fact that of uh, the role of the word, and that's one of the concerns I have as I look at the surveys that uh, the Barna people and uh, the Gallup people do about religious attitudes in America, uh, the way in which uh, uh, the word of God has fallen into some uh, disrespect and disrepute in certain circles, even among those who claim to be Christians. And Paul reminds us that they not only appreciated the word, but they appropriated that word and they applied that word in their own ministries, their own lives. And um, there are a few doctrines that are as important to us as the doctrine of Scripture. Uh, I, I've got a bunch of mugs of old Lutheran divines uh, in my office I made up last year, and mm-hmm. one of them is a, is a quote from uh, uh, John uh, Quinstead where he says, whatever is inspired by God is to be believed simply on account of itself, and it's quite above all criticism. It's true for all times and immutably so. It's free of all error and untruth, and inspired falsehoods and impossibility, because God can't lie directly or through others. And I I keep looking at that as a reminder that the Scripture is to be appreciated, the Scripture is to be appropriated, the Scripture is to be applied. And as he says, it's not the word of men, because we know how often that can change. But I love how he says it, not the word of men, but what it really is, kind of a a sarcastic, uh, you know, kind of push there, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And that's a reminder for mm-hmm. us, too, is that God's word is at work here. And as you said, Isaiah 55, you know, we hear the uh, uh, Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that this is the word of God, which is a blessing when we are able to, one, believe it and confess it. But also we look at apologetics works and we see how many um, uh, historical documentations we have, how much it, it interconnects and throughout all of history. It's an amazing book in that way. But obviously the most amazing part is it points us to our Lord Jesus. Um, any last thoughts on the word as he speaks here? Yeah, that 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 exactly. Uh, just what you've been saying that that it it is God's word, and it is it is what uh, is able uh, to teach us, to inspire us, to comfort us. Uh, it's the tool the Holy Spirit uses. Uh, we Lutherans believe that uh, God doesn't just speak to our consciences directly, but He uses word and sacrament. And uh, the more we know God's word, the better able we are to hear God's voice, because he uses that word uh, to speak words of comfort, words of challenge, words of encouragement to our to our into our our hearts and our souls. And he speaks here finally about the churches in Judea. And to me, this sounds like an encouragement. It doesn't always sound like an encouragement, these last verses, but he's speaking about the churches in Judea and telling them about their situation. What is Paul telling us here? Well, he he goes back. uh, Actually, you know, this is Holy Week. And on Monday of Holy Week, uh, Jesus spoke the parable that's recorded in Matthew 21, the parable of the vineyard about how the uh, the messengers of the of the owner came and they were mistreated. And then he finally sends his son and they kill him. Mm -hmm. And Paul is is echoing the Old Testament truth that that over and over again God sent his prophets to his people to warn them and to and to challenge them and over and over again they mistreated uh, the prophets of God and then finally the word of God came in flesh in Jesus Christ and they crucified him and then after that 
as Paul well knows, as one of those who was commissioned to persecute Christians and and drag them to Jerusalem uh, for for trial and and worse, um, the the leadership of those who opposed the faith in 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 Judea uh, had. Uh, persecuted and harassed and even killed not only the Lord but and his prophets, but also those who became uh, early Christians and drove mm. drove them out uh, such that many of them, uh, the Apostle John, for instance, ends up in probably in Ephesus on the western coast of what we call Turkey today. Mm. Um, and Paul uses the fact that that rather than giving up God's prophets, continued to be faithful rather than giving up when Judas handed him over 42 times. It says handed over in the passion narrative, Judas handed him over for greed. The priests handed him over for envy. Pilate handed him over for cowardice. But in Galatians 2:20, Paul says he loved me and handed himself over for me. Mm-hmm. And so here's the reminder of all those who have gone before them, uh, who followed in the example of Jesus, uh, who were faithful to the end, and he's encouraging them to be faithful to the end. And he says, you know, God isn't going to tolerate this nonsense forever. Uh, they will fill up the measure of their, you know, it will fill up the measure of their sins, and God's wrath will fall upon them, whether he's thinking of what was going on in, in Claudius kicking the Jews out of Rome uh, which is how we get Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth, or whether it is uh, the uh, famine that was going on between 45 to 49 in Jerusalem that they were suffering under, or whether it's thinking 20 years in the future to August of AD 70 when, when Jerusalem itself would fall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God will not tolerate forever uh, the, the rejection of his, of his good news. But it's an encouragement to them that they ought to be imitators of the churches of God who, who endured persecution for a time, knowing that a better place was waiting for them. Reverend Dr. Dennis McFadden of Fort Wayne, Indiana, helping us today with First Thessalonians chapter 2. Pastor McFadden, thank you for being our guest. Thank you. Saints of our Lord, hear the word because it is the word of God. Walk in a manner worthy of God who has called you into his own kingdom and to his glory. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us. The Lord bless your holy week and may he keep you safe in the palm of his hands.